This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello i'm matt shawley and this is politics without the boring bits bringing you some of the best bits from the year that you might have missed now with an election coming this is going to be particularly handy today's episode party political broadcasts have been around for nearly a hundred years featuring everything from men sitting woodenly behind desks to yogurt flying do they ever though change anyone's vote and why are some of them so odd back in january i spoke to tory advertising legend morris sarchi and the labor filmmaker mark lucas to find out you now follow the Party Political Broadcast on behalf of Party Political Broadcast. Yes, a new year means a new slate of Party Political Broadcast. Those short films that TV channels have to show whether there's anyone watching or not. Designed to give political parties each a fair crack at the whip by appealing to viewers at home. So last week we had Rishi Sunak surrounded by Union Jack flags and copyright-free music. The government's priorities are your priorities. The people's priorities. And this week, Keir Starmer apparently being interviewed just off-camera by no-one. I grew up in a pebble-dash semi. I'm sharing a bedroom with my brother, a bunk bed bedroom with my brother. My dad was a toolmaker and worked in a factory all his life. In fact, party political broadcasts are almost 100 years old, having first been introduced to the general election of 1924, when each party leader had 20 minutes. Back then, the Labour Prime Minister, Ramsay MacDonald, Conservative Stanley Baldwin and Herbert Asquith of the Liberal Party each made a speech unedited. The Labour minority government was defeated, with the Conservatives winning a landslide with a majority of 209. Back when it had a monopoly on broadcasting, the BBC actually used to make the broadcasts for the parties, offering up studios, equipment and staff. The first televised party political broadcast was in 1951, when Viscount Samuel, the Liberal leader, spoke directly into the camera for 15 minutes straight and still managed to run out of time. Cabinet Minister Sir Hartley Shawcross spoke for Labour and Conservative Deputy Leader Anthony Eden spoke for the opposition. Well, I would just like to say first that as an interviewer and as what I hope you will believe to be an unbiased member of the electorate, I'm most grateful to Mr Anthony Eden for inviting me to cross-question him on the present political issues. I would like, too, to feel that 
I am asking, so far as possible, those questions which you yourselves would like to ask in my place. Well, now, Mr. Eden, with your very considerable experience of foreign affairs, it's quite obvious that I should start by asking you something about the international situation today, or perhaps you would prefer to talk about home. When shall it be? Well, you know, during this election, I found... In the election that followed, the Tories under Winston Churchill went on to oust Labour, winning a slim majority of 17 seats. By the end of the decade, party political broadcaster got slicker and snappier. This one, from 1959, was billed on screen as a campaign report from Labour Radio and TV Operations Room in London, fronted by Tony Benn, who's credited with transforming the staid model of party political broadcasting. This election is hotting up. The Tories are really badly shaken by the evidence of a Labour swing everywhere, and it's no wonder that they're lashing out. Tonight, we are going to examine their credentials, their record, their promises, and their performance. By 1970, they were almost unrecognisable from those early speeches to camera, like this one from Labour called Political Challenge. Funded by Bernard Donoghue, who went on to be an advisor to Howard Wilson and Jim Callaghan, it bore a lot of similarities to University Challenge. This is a quiz programme and we have two teams competing who have been selected by an entirely independent research organisation. One team is of young, new voters who have never voted before at a general election. The others, the rest, have voted before. Sometimes the mixture of politics and showbiz went a bit too far. In 1972, the Liberal Party got their leader to be interviewed question time style by Jimmy Savile. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, indeed, to this party political broadcast, with a difference, if only the fact that I'm here for a start, but I am here to see fair play speech, and it's the Liberal Party that have asked me to come along, together with lots of good friends here in the audience from all walks of life, and the object of the exercise is that they are going to put questions to Mr Jeremy Thorpe. By the end of the decade, campaigning was increasingly negative. In 1979, Margaret Thatcher made a bid for power with a party political broadcast based on a line attributed to the Labour Prime Minister, Jim Callaghan. Crisis? What crisis? Crisis? What crisis? Crisis? What crisis? Did you or did you not want better schooling for your children? Guilty. Now, did you or did you not want to buy your own home? Guilty. In 1987, Kinnock the Movie was a ten-minute biopic by Hugh Hudson, the director of the Oscar-winning Chariots of Fire. It focused on Labour leader Neil Kinnock as a family man, meeting old ladies for cups of tea or looking wistfully out to sea, rather than focusing on Labour's policies, which were still much more left-wing than the British public could stomach. The first Kinnock in a thousand generations to be able to get the university. Why is Glenys the first woman in her family in a thousand generations to be able to get the university? Was it because all our predecessors were thick? Did they lack talent? Those people who could sing and play 
and recite and write poetry. Artistically brilliant, no doubt, but Labour went on to lose the 87 election. Five years later, the Conservatives tried the same trick with John Major, the movie, directed by John Schlesinger, the Oscar-winning director of Midnight Cowboy. It took him on a wistful tour of his Brixton childhood home. When I was in my mid-teens, we moved to Burton Road. Where you see the house ahead, with the two white arches, immediately opposite there, that is where we lived. Now, is it still there? It is. It is. It's still there. It's still there. It's hardly changed. It wasn't all positive, though. In the same election, the Conservatives launched a direct attack on what it called Labour's tax bombshell. To pay for Labour's promises, the average taxpayer would end up being hit by an extra £1,000 tax bill. While Labour went with Jennifer's Ear, a video soundtrack only by music, contrasting two young girls with earache, one of whom could go private and the other just had to wait. Someone will wait eternally In 1997, Labour produced a film called Land of Hope and Glory. It was just Elgar playing over footage of the Conservative Party conference with captions saying, just imagine what would happen if the Tories got in again, or just imagine what the Tories would do with another five years. Well, a huge row blew up, and as a result, the rules were changed so that parties now cannot use moving footage of political opponents. But they are allowed to use undistorted stills. So how do you navigate all those rules and produce something memorable without being embarrassing, powerful, without landing yourself in hot water? So I'm now joined uh, by Mark Lucas, who worked on Labour Party political broadcasts in 1997, 2001, 2005, and the slightly less successful uh, 2010. Hi, Mark. Hi, thanks very much for that introduction. They all <laughs> the end, but there we are. <laughs> Good to have you with us. And Maurice Saatchi, Lord Saatchi, of course, a long-time Conservative Party advertising uh, guru over, what, the best part of half a century, Maurice? If you insist on reminding me, yes. <laughs> what was the first part of political broadcast you worked on, Morris, that you, you can remember? Uh, because they've changed so much. I, I truly don't remember, but all of the work that we did with the Conservative Party has um, landed me in a situation in which I'm afraid my contribution to British politics is entirely negative. <laughs> Professor David Butler said to me, to my face, you, Morris Saatchi, are personally responsible for reducing all British elections to negative campaigns. And well, that was very hard to take, but it's also completely true. <laughs> our, approach to, our approach to party political broadcast or any other form of election campaigning was, um, and still is, entirely Negative. And that's because there was sort of, in essence, two sorts of party political broadcasts. There's the hopey, changey one where maybe the party leader walks around in the sunshine, high-fiving members of the public and talking about how, how lovely things are going to be if they're in number 10 after the election. And then there's the don't put the other lot in, 
everything will collapse. You'll all be homeless. There'll be rats on the streets and everything will be a nightmare. And you, you possibly specialised more in the latter. Mark, in the uh, sort of the, the new Labour years, you were a yeah. bit more hopey changey, weren't you? Especially in 1997. Well, look, I'm in, in danger of uh, agreeing with Morris in a way because, yeah, the most effective ads in general that we did were full-on attacks. And I don't think we ever did an ad where we didn't say afterwards, God, I wish we'd gone a bit further. So, you know, I'm fully aligned with that. But in, in 97 in particular, we we're doing a slightly different thing or an additional thing. I mean, look, for an opposition, where do you want to get to? You, you ideally want to get to change without risk, don't you? Because risky change doesn't sound all that good to anyone. And a change that's basically the same isn't that appealing. And so all of the ads that we did in 97 in particular had a sort of theatre to them and a kind of feel and a vibe to them. I mean, we had an ad with a Pete Postlethwaite turned into an angel, you know, replete with wings. And we had another one where a bulldog, you know, um, marches off to a brighter future. So we tried to be, there was a sense of theatre to them. But behind that, we're actually saying, you know, look, we're okay, we're safe, you can trust us. In a funny way, because the the party broadcast, there's been a demise in the sense that the viewing figures are down, they're marginalised, you know, when in 97 they were all on the telly at the same time. You couldn't avoid them unless you sort of left the room. And now they're much more easily avoidable. Although I suppose actually one of the things that they now, they now live on on social media and get reshared and that sort of thing. So, so they might be viewed less on the telly, but they, they get a sort of legs elsewhere. Um, I, want to, I want to ask you both for sort of the, the, the ads that you're, the party political broadcast you're most proud of and the one you'd rather we... We forgot. Let's start with you first of all, Morris. They're all all our work was magnificent, and <laughs> we were we were we were. By the way, if you'd like further criticism of myself, you see how humble I am. We were also greatly criticised, apart from all this negative campaigning. We were also which ruined British politics. I'm told. We were also criticised for cheap sloganising. In other words, treating people like morons by only giving them three words. But I don't accept that either. I think that's also for me a source of a source of pride, on the basis that, so far as I can tell, the most powerful rallying cries in history that change the world are very simple and to the point. For example, your country needs you. No taxation without representation. One man, one vote. There was nothing complicated, was there, about liberté, égalité, fraternité. <laughs> and by the way, in case you're interested in the Ten Commandments, the average length of the Ten Commandments is seven words. What about you, Mark? Is it the Pete Pothelswaite one? I mean, the Pete Pothelswaite one was amazing. Poor, poor old Pete. He was drunk through the whole shoot, by the way. And uh, Stephen Frears and I had to basically get on our knees and beg him to leave the caravan to actually do the scene. He had a sort of last minute, as angels sort of do, a last minute worry about New Labour and whether it was all real, which we were fortunately able to reassure him that it all completely was. So that, that was a memorable one. But the one I'd pick, if I had to pick one, I think was the Bulldog one. So we, we cast the Bulldog, Tony Blair speaks, poor old British Bulldog uh, has been, you know, let down by the Tories uh, for many years. What You know, here's Tony speak, gets excited and gets up and walks off towards a great future. And the reason why I remember it is not so much the film, but the press conference that followed it. Because on the morning of it, Peter Mandelson came up to me and said, Mark, I think I think I would like to have the dog with me for the press conference. So 
Really? Yeah. So it was the first dog and politician press conference, certainly of that campaign. So I had to drive off and get this bloomin' dog that we'd used in the film, which I managed to do, drive it back to Millbank. And there were 300 journalists outside waiting for this moment. We, we actually drive in with a hood over the dog so that it's like sort of paparazzi style that they didn't get a photo of it in advance. Peter walks out with the dog. It's like one of those more sort of surreal moments of a campaign. And uh, the owner just turns to me and says, there's something I should have said earlier. And I went, oh, my God, what is it? You know, and he went, well, I am really worried. British Bulldogs are bred with a congenital heart disease. And my one is really prone to heart attacks. So the one thing I can't do is let him have any stress. And this was revealed as Peter's walking out to the, you know, it was front page of the Sun, 300 media out there. And so I've just occasionally wake up in the middle of the night with this image of a, a heart attack dog, you know, with the four paws up in the air and Peter trying to resuscitate it as the sort of image of the campaign. And um, so I'll never forget that because it got so much media. It was claiming a British icon, but also for me, it was, you know, kind of terrifying really as an experience. In fact, Mark, I do know a bit about the bulldog because of a conversation I had a few years ago with Philip Webster, former Times political editor, and James Landell, who was on the Times, is now at the BBC. Tory party at the time was in total disarray, and they got this lion uh, that they, they they campaigned with a lion. Uh, they used it as a symbol, the symbol of the lion, and the, the pit, they, they used this picture of a lion in all kinds of um, broadcasts and things, and uh, one of our colleagues who's not here today but who was with us discovered that the lion was gay do you remember the next <laughs> the other animal was um uh the labor party got a, a bulldog um, called, course, called yeah. buster uh who was there to uh, they used for some of their promotional material which was designed to sort of show how patriotic they were because of course sort of foreign affairs was always seen as one of labor's weak points so they wanted to try and sort of tickle that up so peter manson arranged for this this dog uh, to be photographed, um, but it subsequently turned out that the um, the the nether regions of this dog had been airbrushed out <laughs> for fear of offending the voters, yeah. yes. um, which caused a bit of fun. So, Mark, do you remember all of that? Yeah, there were two rumours actually. The first rumour that probably Morris put out was that the British bulldog was actually German and was called Fritz, uh, and we had to go around and reassure people that wasn't the case. And then the second rumour was that. Peter had objected to the size and the movement of the poor bulldog's uh, dangly bits because it was distracting from what Tony said and therefore ordered that they be airbrushed out. Uh, And that rumour was completely true. Yeah, that was absolutely true. That was Mark Lucas, who worked on Labour Party political broadcasts in 1997, 2001, 2005 and 2010. And Moise Saatchi, Lord Saatchi, spent half a century advising the Conservative government his book, Do Not Resuscitate, The Life and Afterlife of Moise Saatchi, is out now. Here he is giving it the sales pitch. It reveals the biggest secret of all time, why some people go to heaven and others go to hell. And I was able to um, perform this miracle because after my death, when I arrived, as one does, at the gates of heaven, seeking entry to heaven, it was um, worse than arriving at Heathrow. Ever the ad man. So those were the spin doctors working for the political parties, but for the people actually making the film, it could be even trickier. Parties often want normal, hard-working families rather than politicians behind a desk. But it could be tricky to keep the public on message. 
Nick Frost is a TV producer and director of the production company Middle Table. He's worked on multiple political broadcasts for different parties and referendum campaigns. So, Nick, explain the pitfalls that you can face when you start involving real people. Well, part of the problem with finding real people is that real people have real problems. And what you'd ideally do in this sense is get a sense of who you should be interviewing in the first place and whether they have any problematic backgrounds. But that doesn't always happen. In the middle of an election cycle, there's a million things happening at once. So everything sort of happens at the same time. We were on the way back from a filming in a factory in, in South Wales once, really pleased with it. We'd, it was going to be a big part of this particular broadcast of this particular film. And uh, we'd film this bunch of workers all getting on with their lives, you know, to, working together and it was a really good and we were in the car on the way back we got a call from headquarters saying did you film such and such a person and we said well yes actually they were sort of in most of the shots and said, unfortunately we've been doing some background checks on them and we can't use them because they've got convictions related to paedophilia so that was out of the window straight away onto finding a new factory wow and i suppose that is the pitfall because that's exactly the sort of thing that journalists like me would do is immediately start working out well who are all these people there's the political party there's maybe the agency they're using there's you know, the spin doctor on the ground, there's the people looking after the actors or the members of the public. The te- there must be a lot of tension there. And you're just trying to get on and do the thing that you think would be good, while loads of people who don't normally make films are telling you what they want instead. You know, there was one particular occasion we were working with a party and they'd been working with a big agency throughout the campaign. And the relationship had been breaking down and down and down to the point where they were sort of very annoyed with each other. And we were on one particular shoot that had actually been the idea of the of the agency um, sitting across the table for them and be uh, one of the executives asked me to go and get a sandwich for him and I didn't mind I was going out to get lunch anyway got them a sandwich and, and, and handed it over somehow this got back to the comms team at the party and they said um, they shouldn't be asking you to do this you're not their footman you know you you are a production team this is it and then they forbade the agency from dealing with us directly so we have this ridiculous situation of us sitting at a table at the shoot across the people the execs from this agency and they weren't allowed to speak to us they had to send a message back to the headquarters who then may or may not pass that message on back to us common sense told in the end that we ended up sort of you know working things out but gives you an idea of the the, the tension and the uh the, the frustrations that can set in and obviously months in advance people will know that these the, they've got a slot on it's on bbc one it's five to seven um how long in advance are you doing that or is it like right down to the wire as the campaign rolls on everything goes off the rails and you'll you know right up to the wire and even beyond it and you know you'll push and push and push that back that uh, deadline back I remember one particular time we were in the post-production suite and, you know, we were several days past the deadline. We were being harangued by the uh, by the broadcasters. Where is it? Where has it gone? And we were just about to send it to them and I got a phone call from, from headquarters again. Can we change a shot? So what do you, which one do you want to change? This is a shot that's been in since the beginning. It was a shot of a worker who'd taken out a pen and they'd given the pen a shake to get the ink flowing, but it was seen within the party headquarters that this could be construed as a... A, a rude hand gesture and that it could be clipped up by someone you know opposite the party and used on social media to say here's what this person thinks of this particular party can we change the shot and so we had to go back find the rushes change the shot go through the process you know all the while the broadcasts on the phone it gives you an idea of the paranoia i think that sets in as a result of people like let's be honest you nick foster ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. So never mind the politics, do party political broadcasts make good TV? So what we thought we'd do is uh, have a trawl through some of your favourites. I was on Twitter uh, earlier in the week asking for uh, some of your all-time favourites. We've put together a sort of top five. And we thought, well, who better to cast a a critical eye over than the Times uh, television reviewer, Carol Midgley, who joins me now. Hi, Carol. Hi, Matt. You okay? I'm very good. How are you? I'm not bad, thank you. So we've torn you away from all the good telly. Uh, yes. To get you to watch some old party political... Have you ever reviewed a party political broadcast before? This feels like the sort of thing the paper might... No. Get... No? I never have. This is a first. A personal first. Well, there we are. So, um... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Do you... Well, should we just dive... Let's just dive straight in and we'll see how so we, we get your on. expectations alone. We get yes, unpacking them. Um, and we've sort of been through all the, some of the sort of serious ones. We have heard Jennifer's Ear and all those sort of ones before. But these are some of the ones that sort of stood out... Uh, either for their creativity or because they were so wincingly awful. So let's start with the top five. So actually, 1993, so this is under John Smith, Labour Party drafted in Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie. So you'd think, you know, that's pretty good. You know, two hot comedians at the moment. For party political broadcasts, uh, where they basically play posh Tories, helping their friends find tax avoidance loopholes. Let's just take a quick listen. Lord Rupert Shuffington Crack, sir. Rupert! <laughs> Brandon Soda? Oh, good God, no, it's too early in the day. <laughs> For soda. Sit down, sit down, sit down. <laughs> now, as I recall, your problem is the little matter of your death. <laughs> How to leave the entire county and associated businesses to Lord Rupert the Younger without those nasty little taxmen getting involved? Any ideas? <laughs> Can't see a problem, Rupert. Just bundle up the capital gains tax and the inheritance tax into one parcel and you get double tax relief. Uh, just leave it all to me. Just leave it all to us. Double tax relief? I, 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 I don't believe it. Just, just imagine. Oh dear. Seems to have died. Smart move. So that's Stephen Fine, Hugh Light. Now what did you think of this, Cal? Well, actually, I thought that it was, obviously you could tell from that, it's very slick, very well written. But I think it's kind of, for a part of little broadcast, kind of too clever for its own good. Mm. Um, because it's if you were already a Labour voter, you, you've got to think a bit of its impact, haven't you? What's the point of a part of it? Is it you're trying to persuade people to vote or to, you know, to support you. If you're already a Labour voter, you'd think, ha-ha, very funny. And it is funny. It is. 
Um, but if you were Tory or you weren't sure, you might, it might just play into the hands of going, oh, there they are, smug lovies, you know, hitting the same old stereotypical targets. Um, everyone's, you know, it's all about tax loopholes for the rich. They make some really good points, especially about like the little people are paying all the tax and so the rich people can get away with it. Um, but I, I, I just wonder if you just switched it on halfway through, you might think it's a sketch from a bit of Fry and Laurie and, and not uh, realise. And one that, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite funny, but not as funny as the actual, you know, but some, some of the stuff from a bit of Fry and Laurie. Why? Yes. I sort of acquired some DVDs of them once and sort of ploughed through it and just adored it. And there was part of me that thought, obviously, normally, when, you know, writing sketches, the, the laugh, the gag is king, or it should be. Yes. And if you make a point along the way, then great. But clearly with this, some, making the point is sort of king. And it became a bit late. I probably thought it was a bit long as well as a, a, it was as too, a well, sketch. It was too repetitive. Yeah. It was too repetitive. So there was like four different scenarios and it, it, less is more with past political broadcasts, and you, you need to keep it sharp and to the point. And I, it went on far too long. Yes. It, it reminded me a bit of one which I, I really struggled to find. I think because it just fell. Anything around twenty ten is just sort of dropped out of the internet for some reason. But it yes. was uh, um, in the twenty ten election, uh, the Labour Party did one mocking David Cameron and, uh, uh, and the Big Society, and it was a sort of a mum came in. She was sort of carrying, like, dressed as a lollipop lady, taking off a lollipop lady outfit. And so I said, oh, God, I can't stop and talk. I've got to go and um, run the army yeah. next or something. And it was a very, again, it was very funny. Yes. Yes. But all it really did was, oh, yeah, that's quite funny. It was like a good yes. satirical sketch. I'm not sure it really persuaded, but it clearly didn't work because the Labour Party went on to lose in 2010. Uh, right, look, talk, this is another one from 2010. An absolute treat, this one. A trip down memory lane. Uh, this is from the Lib Dems party political broadcast in 2010. <laughs> I think perhaps... Perhaps no party political broadcast thrown back at a party quite so uh, dramatically. No. This is Nick Clegg walking among sort of windswept landscapes, council house uh, high rises, um, with lots of bits of paper fluttering around, which have got broken promises written on it, <laughs> with lots of sort of weird ethereal music. Let's take a listen. Broken promises. There have been too many in the last few years, too many in the last 30 years. In fact... Our nation has been littered with them, a trail of broken promises. You remember them. Fairer taxes, a promise broken. Better schools for everyone, a promise broken. Cleaner politics, a promise broken. I believe it's time to do things differently. I believe it's time for fairness in Britain. I believe it's time for promises to be kept. <laughs> no sniggering at the back. <laughs> What? <laughs> I suppose in and of itself, Carol, this is quite good in 2010. Yeah, well, obviously the phrase doesn't age well was created for this uh, broadcast. Um, and the irony klaxon, of course, is going off with the benefit of hindsight. But at the time, no one knew, did they? No one knew that it was going to do his reverse thing on tuition fees and um, have to apologise for breaking a promise. Um, so we didn't know that. So I think... In terms of an actual piece of film, it's just, obviously you can't see it because it's radio, but it's just a single camera, him walking in his big winter overcoat. And it's like, here, here, look at me, I'm stripped down, Nick. No gimmicks, no bells and whistles. It's just me talking to you. And I, it, well, it, it, it must have worked because people obviously believed him mm. because he ended up being in the coalition. Yeah. So as a piece of a television, it was 
probably effective. Yeah. Um, My favourite just... bit is at the very beginning, it starts with a piece of paper and it says, like, Labour Labour promised to scrap tuition fees or something. Yeah. And that <laughs> sort of flutters away. So it's like, it's so on the nose from obviously the Lib Dems then went on to treble tuition fees. Well, let's move on uh, to the, uh, the next one. Uh, number three in our countdown. And actually, this is proper one for pop pickers. A memorable effort for the Green Party in 2015, <laughs> where they put together the boy band that nobody asks for. Uh, David Cameron, Nick Clegg, Ed Miliband and Nigel Farage singing in perfect harmony. Do you get it? Because uh, they're all so similar. Let's take a listen. This has just taken me back to working at Mail Online and listening to this about every five minutes. <laughs> um, I remember thinking this was really smart. It was very slickly done. Yes. It was quite funny. Um, yeah, as a piece of... Was... Capitalising on getting three minutes on the telly, I thought it was pretty good. It was really good and it was like sounded... It, it was it was very... Um, very creative and imaginative because it, it you know obviously the, the the gag being they're all the same this just homogenous boy band um lookalikes where they all sing from the same sheet then that you know you can put a cigarette paper between them all and the green party's different i think it was really successful for that um obviously not that successful but um you know given what the, you know didn't win that many seats but i i think you know, it reminded me of that. I don't know if fans of Father Ted. It reminded me of when Father Dick Byrne went in the Eurovision Song Contest, and it was that kind of song. And I just thought it was just really clever for that. Well, I suppose what, what, what's so good is it was it was a really clever political point, executed yes. really well. Like high production values, it looked great, and actually it got shared a lot. It got talked about a lot. It made the papers. It made columns, and you know. Uh, and it was all people yes. in on the joke rather than sort of laughing at them. Uh, and a catchy tune, which is important, yeah. you know, for um, people to remember. Whereas uh, in 2019, the Conservatives went for, well, I think this was based, was a Vanity Fair, sort of 12, 12 questions that Vanity Fair ask. Um, it's a sort of you know, Birdman meets the Office style video. Boris Johnson wandering around the Tory election offices. Um, answering this, these, this sort of weird list of questions and just making random jokes. Hey, Boris, you all right? I'm good, how are you? What's been on your mind today? Uh, well, I can't hide it from you. I've been thinking a bit about this general election campaign. And how do you typically start your day? I tend to get up pretty early and then I go down and uh, take the dog for a walk and dog does his business and so on and so forth. That's, that's, that's my start of the day. Yeah, and on it went. Mm. If you thought that was uh, a bit thin on <laughs> politics, uh, it got worse. Um the, uh, the, the main memory of this cow was a massive row about the way he made his tea. That he'd, yes, he, he put up. milk on top of a tea bag and then oh, the yeah, water. He, yeah. Yes, I didn't use the kettle, did he? He used a, a hot tap. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, obviously, this, this well, was it effective in 2019? They, won, they obviously won a, a majority, so that says it worked. What did you make of it as a piece of uh, telly? Um, again, uh, I, I thought it was. Uh, Awful to watch, but 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 actually quite effective. I mean, that handheld camera shakes slightly shaky. Here I am walking through ordinary guy taking the dog out to do his business. You know, here I oh I I cooked steak and oven chips last night. I mean, the desperateness to to appear I'm normal just like you was palpable. But 
Um, I think he was slightly copying the Nick Clegg thing in a way. Yeah. From, you know, nine years earlier. It, it's like, hey, what you see with me is what you get. I'm just a straightforward guy. I answer straight questions. Rolling Stones and The Clash are my favourite band. You know, everyone, ugh, those awful questions that people ask politicians. Um, but look at what happened afterwards. Yeah. It must have worked because, <laughs> you know, people must have thought, wrote, watched and thought, do you know what? That's a man who tells the truth. He's, he's a straight talker. And actually the thing about that campaign, the Tories posted a whole load of rubbish online and all people talked about was the rubbish that was posted online and then people went and found it and probably did reinforce... They were getting their message across because people were sharing. Going, have you seen this? And then actually, they were showing their messages. Finally, though, I think yeah. this has got to be my number one uh, yeah, favourite party political broadcast. It's the Natural Law Party's broadcast ahead of some European Parliament elections. Their leader, Dr. Jeffrey Clements, staring hypnotically into the camera, said the party's first priority was to set out a program of transcendental meditation and yogic flying, which is where you sort of sit cross-legged and then sort of catapult yourself into the air. It's hard to explain. We'll play a clip, but I recommend you spend five minutes later on today watching it. But let's take a listen. When a person practices transcendental meditation and yogic flying, a high degree of integration is produced in brain activity. The person experiences bubbling bliss and stress is dissolved. This is the basis of many practical results in every area of life. Through a group of 7,000 experts in yogic flying, this effect of coherence radiates to the whole nation, bringing down stress and negativity in society and making the nation strong, dynamic and integrated. (laughs) (laughs) It's really, it's a shame that you can't really, imagine a sort of, well, it looks like a room in a sort of stately home with mattresses on the floor uh, and people in their yoga kit, cross-legged, catapulting themselves into the air. And apparently if lots of people do that, waves of calm will sweep the country. Yes. Um, and, and later on, yes, he, 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 he claimed that because there was a yogic flying um, sort of scene in Skelmersdale in Merseyside, <laughs> and um, they claimed that it reduced crime by 60% in Merseyside in between 1987 and 94, which is quite a bold claim. Isn't it <laughs> the level of crime at the time in the eighties? Um, but yes, it, but I thought even funnier was the man who presented that. Who <laughs> he was like sitting in a beige suit, like like it was. It looked like it was. It was. He had a Tom Selleck mustache, a beige suit, and he looked like he was made in the Soviet bloc in nineteen seventy two, even though it was nineteen ninety four, and. Um, there was like an, uh, this is what people do when they know when they suspect that you think they're talking rubbish. They try and have an open university kind of gravitas <laughs> about it. So he's, he's addressing the camera like it's a lecture, a science lecture. Um, it had, it had it real brilliant. sort of like open university vibes about it. It was yeah, yeah so it, it, it was, was incredible like lecture. Yeah. Um, um, and no sense of humour whatsoever. Not a scintilla of humour in it. Which made it uh, all the all all the better. Yeah, Hugo Rifkin. Yeah. Well, after I tweeted about uh, Party Political Broadcast of the Week, Hugo Rifkin tweeted, never forgot this. Everybody saw it. Had the entirety of the UK going, WTF was that the next day. Yes. It's incredible. It's incredible. I, I, I've just tweeted a link to it, so you want to go and have a look. Uh, Carol, <laughs> thank you so much for wasting your uh, morning <laughs> by watching all of those for no reason other than a trip down uh, Murray Lane. And if you like that sort of thing, you're going to love my Times Radio show weekdays from 10. I'm back in January. But for now, for me, Matt Cholly, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. 
Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.